0: Welcome to the Rural Births Podcast. This podcast was created to record and share stories from the many rural women who have birthed, to allow them to voice their experience and learn from them. I want rural women who are pregnant planning to get pregnant or entering their postpartum period to feel supported and know that, although care may be via distance, there are options. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced on Ewan Country. We acknowledge the innate birthing wisdoms and traditions held by the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, the traditional custodians of this land. We remember the first women of this nation, the custodians of land and birth, who birthed on country in culture and tradition. Here, as we share in stories, stories of birth, preconception, pregnancy, and postpartum experiences from remote, rural, and outer regional communities. May we remember and stand for the cultural significance of birth, women's business, and birthing on country. May we nurture and support women through this rite of passage as we hear of possibilities ignited and limitations created. May we share in the power of storytelling and memory as we listen and learn from these birth stories. And may we always remember the ancestral wisdoms belonging to the country these birth stories occur on today. Larissa is mum to three girls in rural Queensland. She lives on a cattle station. Her home, Attica Station, is located about 120 kilometres out of Orgathella and it's 30 kilometres to hop over to her neighbours. Larissa grew up in Kingaroy. When she first fell pregnant, knowing 36-week relocation was necessary to access birthing facilities. Larissa chose to birth in Kingaroy with a known GP, OB. Relocating to her parents' house meant that she had prior knowledge of the hospital staff, and this helped her to feel supported. She went into labour shortly after relocation in her 38th week of pregnancy. She laboured during the day through intense back pains before discovering her daughter was presenting posterior and breached. She was in highly active labour when she and her team decided to redirect, and she birthed her daughter via unplanned emergency C-section. Her postpartum was well supported by a group of powerhouse playgroup mums in Augustella, and Larissa readily drove the hour and a half for this connection and support every week. Larissa had felt very supported by the staff present at her first daughter's birth. So when she fell pregnant again, she reactivated her care plan. She was planning a VBAC, but changed plans after having a reaction during induction. Her first and second daughter were born close together after fertility consultation in Toowoomba. However, her and her husband waited a little bit longer before trying for number three. Larissa's youngest daughter, is a survivor. During Larissa's 20-week scan, they discovered her daughter had serious heart defects. So for Larissa's third pregnancy, she required specialist care via Brisbane's Mater Mothers. Larissa and her husband have been faced with a challenging journey through gestation and early childhood monitoring and surgery. At times they have felt highly supported, but there were times when medical support people laid judgment and conversations around late term termination were difficult for them to endure. Larissa birthed her third daughter via planned C-section at Marta Mothers, and now at four years old, she is their family's little miracle. In this interview, Larissa has traversed back through this emotional experience in hopes that others who are faced with similar circumstances and isolated from medical assistance will know that help is accessible. Thanks for listening to today's episode.
1: 120 k's northeast of Um, I live with my three girls. Well, I have three girls. I've got Erica, who's seven and a half, um, Claire, who is six, and our little Annie, who is four. And I'm married to my husband, um, Rick. And yeah, we live in
0: the dream. Nice. And have you always lived rurally, or did you move inland and leave the city behind?
1: So I lived in a little town called Kingaroy, yep. which is about two and a half hours, I think it's north-west of Brisbane, and mm-hmm. I met Rick at a wedding and then moved out here.
0: Nice. And what do you guys do on the land?
1: So we've just got backgrounders, so we um, we buy little wieners in and um, grow them out, and then yeah, we've just trucked this morning, hence why we're a little bit late doing this podcast, but um,
0: <laughs> yeah. So when you first fell pregnant, were you living out on the property at the time? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And We've so what did you for... you'd been married for, sorry, how many years?
1: Sorry, for 18 months. We it took yep. us 18 months to conceive Erica. We had a bit yep. of trouble.
0: Mm. Um so what was your closest service? Then, if you're 120 k's out of your nearest town, what did you discover so was the closest a, one?
1: So we have a little um hospital and a doctor surgery in Ugevella. Um, yeah, it's man. It was manned by one doctor who okay. did rotation so long, and then had time off, and another one come in and um, took over for his when he had his time off. And then there's Charleville, which we didn't yep. do much in Charleville. We We did a fair bit of shopping and groceries and um, any jobs, any bits and pieces Rick needed out of Roma. So we often just, you know, spent the day in Roma doing that.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, And I know that you made the choice to go to Kingaroy. Was that a decision that you made because that is one of your closest maternity facilities or was it because it's where your parents live?
1: Well, yeah, it was where my family lives. At the moment, um, when we conceived Erica, cause I had a um, miscarriage and I was going through a, um, a specialist down in Toowoomba, I had to do three scans with him down in yep. Toowoomba just to make sure the he was viable. And then we went and saw the my midwives in Toowoomba who they had a, a like a, a room in the general hospital. Um, so we went and had a meeting with them and we just, I just sort of said to Rick, well, you know, we're not high risk, you know, we've got yep. no complications with the baby and we're very close with my GP in King Kingaroy. So I thought, why don't we just go through my GP in King Kingaroy and have the baby in King Kingaroy because that's where I was born as well. So we thought it would be nice to have the kids there.
0: Yeah, nice connection and memory and um, lovely to be able to, relocate to your parents house as well having that accessibility
1: it was nice to have stay like we had somewhere to stay we because you have to go down at 36 weeks um from out here they get a little bit nervous you're spending a little bit yes. more past the 36 weeks, being so far out of town they like to ship you off nice and quickly
0: yeah <laughs> and how far are you from kingaroy
1: so it's 700 k's
0: and that's a big drive to take on late in the third trimester. <laughs> Seven hundred yeah, kilometres.
1: There was a lot of town stops. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I wouldn't doubt. Like I um, am not that far myself from our maternity hospital. Um, it's about an hour, but I <laughs> in those last weeks I wasn't making it. Um, further than Bungendore before I'm like, no, we need to pull over. I need to stop and use the bathroom. <laughs> so I can only imagine yeah, 700 Yeah,
1: <laughs> The babies just love sitting on your bladder, don't you? And you're bouncing along the road going, I can't get to the next town. We're going to have to stop.
0: <laughs> yeah. And were they um, fully paved roads or were you having to travel some dirt roads in?
1: So we've, we're just about all dirt. So it takes us two hours to get to Morgan from, from Attica. Yeah, um, And that's, it was generally all dirt back um, when we had all our kids. They've mm-hmm. had recently I remember a lot of the road now. So, but we're, we're like, we're all dirt up this top end.
0: Yeah. And how did you find that, the travel at um, 36 weeks?
1: It was fine. Um, I don't remember it being any, any rough. Rougher than what it is now on a standard trip to town.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I suppose as well you um, work with what you're used to too. Like, so um, it's like, well, that's just kind of like what a drive is to go out to Kingaroe.
1: Yeah, well, we got used to driving. My kids got used to driving long distances um, quite early.
0: Yeah, which can be good for car sleeps. Yes, very good for car sleeps. Yes. Um, so, if you were travelling 700k's in order to give birth, um, how did it go for other things like scans or blood tests? Were you able to do some things locally or was everything kind of a travel to somewhere?
1: So, I did, um, I just did share care with the, the doctor that was in town here and then yep. um, I ended up having, I did think. I had my 20-week scan in Roma, I think. Roma's yep. probably our next close one to have those sort of scans. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think when I did the di- digestatal diabetes, I think that was King Kingaroy. Like, I just went every second trip back to sure. King Kingaroy.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, so that means you were able to have a bit of continuity with their um, services over there and get to know them.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I've been with my doctor for a very long time, so I, I knew him very well. Um, Mm -hmm. Didn't, I don't think I did, I didn't see any of the midwives at the hospital. We just went as a a private patient. So we had our own private room. um, And basically whoever's on, on the shift when you start going into labor is who you get sort of thing. Yeah. Which is fine. We were happy with that. Like um, the level of care was awesome.
0: Um, So before you gave birth, were there any like books or additional courses that you kind of looked to and were like wanting to know a bit more information about pregnancy or about um, birthing choices or about postpartum? Was there anywhere that you looked to for stuff like that?
1: I do remember reading, you know, Up the Duff. I think that does a fairly big circle around
0: (laughs) the new mum. I loved that book. (laughs) Not everyone loves it. They don't all like Kaz Cook's sense of humour, but I I did like it. (laughs) It hit the mark for me.
1: Yeah, no, it made it it quite interesting to read. Um, I don't think I read anything else. I think I read, because Erica was born by Caesarean, emergency Caesar, Claire... We were t- attempting to do a VBAC, but that didn't go to plan. But I did read mm-hmm. like a, um, it was a hypno birthing book or something. I can't really yeah, cool remember. Just because so, we were trying to have natural birth, but yeah, she had other ideas.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, could you tell us a bit about your first birth story, like? kind of what were the facilities like at Kingaroy in their birthing suites?
1: Didn't actually make it up to the birthing suite. Um, yep. So when went into labor, I was in preterm labor for about a week prior. Um, yeah, about
0: how many weeks were you in?
1: Uh, it, um, so she was born 38, four. So it was a, uh, about 37 I was in preterm labor. Okay. Um, so um, she was born on the 2nd of January. So it was New Year's Eve, things started stepping up a bit. I was still like, yep. I wasn't probably on labour, but it was, you know, I had the constant pain or, you know, not constant pain, but I wasn't, it wasn't something to be concerned about. Anyway, so we went out New mm-hmm. Year's Eve and went to a friend's place and, you know, had stayed up with them for a little bit and then, um nothing happened on the new year's day then i woke up on the wednesday and i said to rick i said i feel different i feel like i've got constant pain i think i I said i think i think today's the day but anyway i had to go into town and i decided to get another wax not sure why i decided to get another wax
0: i reckon that probably goes in line with good signs it's like when people decide randomly that they're going to make a cake and it has to, you know, be made then. And like, it seems that when you are entering into labour, sometimes those last minute, not going to be able to do this for a while decisions suddenly come to the fore.
1: I I had it already booked in. Like I had a a full wax two weeks before and I thought, I better just, you know, make sure it's all like, you know, it's got to be nice and tidy. Like, so, so I had it all booked and I I went still and it was, the most painful thing I've ever been through, you know, in labour and waxing, <laughs> do not go hand in hand. But anyway, yep. we in hand. So we that, that would be your
0: don't recommend getting a wax during no,
1: labour. <laughs> no, one of my finest things that I've done when I was in labour, no. <laughs> but, so we had lunch with some friends and I, it was stepping up. Like I was gripping the table every time I had, I, well I assume a contraction. Um, yeah. So like I could they could visibly see my face that I was in pain. Anyway, but I pushed through and so we went home and I don't it was must have been sometime in the afternoon. I had a bloody show which scared the crap out of me. Like I said to Rick, I don't know what this is, like this I don't know if this is not mucus Club. what's
0: you yeah. know, you don't
1: read about this sort of stuff. So, I ran my doctor, and he said, "Look, I think you need to go to a hospital." All right, so we threw all my bags in. I didn't tell my mum because she was at work, and it kind yeah. of like because I knew she would get in a panic because we were sort of like a bit of blood. Yeah, not. I wasn't comfortable, and I thought we'll just keep it to ourselves and we'll just go into hospital. So anyway, went in there, settled in. Um, they had a trainee midwife, the loveliest lady. Um, and she said, look, I think, got me all comfortable. Said, look, we're going to do an internal to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Did that. She said, oh, yep, that's the head. Yep, you're all good, you know, moving along. And these contractions, they were very intense in along the back. And I had no pain yeah. in the front. I, yeah. I'd never, like, never before, didn't know. I thought that was pretty normal. And it was every one to two minutes I had these pains. And, to a point, my husband had to get a wheat pack and put on my back because it was just so intense. And then once it'd gone, I could sit up, I could walk around, talk, then it would come back. Like, it just kept hitting me hard and fast.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so the doctor came in about 6 o'clock, another internal, and he said, oh, I don't think that's the head. I'm like, oh, okay. well, that could be good. So anyway, they went and got the ultrasound machine, and it was actually her bottom. She was... Um, down head up
0: oh she'd turned surprise breach
1: yeah and she was spine to spine so hence why I had so much pain in my back mm. it was because yeah fine so we had two options to continue or opt for a c-section and like I was scared I was like it was very intense pain mm-hmm. it was I didn't have a break it was just kept coming and coming and coming and I think we just sort of went with our doctor's advice and he didn't push us. Like he wasn't a doctor that said, you know, yep, yeah, straight into theater. Like he said, you know, it's your choice. I said, I, I don't think yeah. I can do it. Like it, it was intense, very, very intense. Mm. So we decided to have a C-section. We wanted Bubby out safely. We didn't want, you know, first time parents. It yeah. wasn't, wasn't an ideal situation to be in, but we wanted to have our baby in our arms safely. So we said, yep. Yeah. So I remember I was crawling onto the bed. I was labouring still. Like, it was just so intense. I was crying. I had a cramp in my leg. I was trying to crawl onto the other bed. It was, it all happened very fast. Um, Yeah. They were trying to do the spinal tap and I was labouring. And, you know, if I don't move, I'm like, how can you not move? (laughs) Like I was crying. Very emotional. Very, very emotional.
0: Very emotional. That's um, (laughs) good that they were able to do the spinal tap. Like, it wasn't so much of a rush into emergency because you still had those options open that you were able to then be awake for your caesar.
1: Yeah. And they had to call in um, all the staff for theatre. So, you know, it was a little bit of time and it was yeah. scary. Yeah,
0: because it's I not a massive hospital.
1: It was, it was... No. No. Well, it... Well, um... Yes and
0: no. It's a fairly big town now, but yeah, it um was yeah, good. No. So um was your husband able to come in uh to surgery with you? Yes. Yes. So, um, and did they like she, put a sheet up and stuff? Yes,
1: yeah. hmm Yeah. Um, she needed a little bit of assistance when she came out because she'd started swallowing a bit of a poo. Um, okay. She yeah. just needed a little bit of oxygen and stuff. She was right. She brought her down onto onto my chest, coupled her up, yeah.
0: That's great. So they were able to do some of those observations from having her on your chest?
1: Yes, yeah. And I went went into recovery with her still, which was lovely.
0: Oh, that's that's awesome when they're able to leave your baby with you as you go into recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was um um when you were in recovery, like um was your, so you were able to have your daughter, were you able to have your husband in recovery as well?
1: Yes. Yeah. He was there. He never left my side, which is lovely.
0: Yeah and did you choose to breastfeed or formula feed
1: so we started with breasts so yeah. we had a lot of trouble um so she was born at seven thirty, no nine o'clock that night mm-hmm. um and obviously with the caesar you have to stay in bed so he stayed with me um, till I think it was after one or two o'clock he stayed and I said look mate go home get some resting come back early in the morning mm-hmm. so we did that come back anyway that um, I knew the night shift nurse really well and anyway she took Erica that's her name that we named her mm-hmm. um, she took her through the night so I could get a bit of rest because you know the day was I was bug- buggered I was exhausted I needed a little bit of sleep yeah anyway so she took well, they brought her back in the morning, sometime I don't know, not sure what time, early in the morning, and they said, "Look, we've had to give her a bit of um, formula because she was hungry." And I had no colostrum hadn't come in, nothing was happening there. I did get very big, but I'm obviously I had I didn't have a lot of. Um, so when while we were waiting for our milk come in, and just to try and get her to stimulate the milk to come in, they would, um, this genius midwife, she was a fabulous nurse, she would put, so I had a nipple shield she, the, because the Perserica was only 2.9 kilos, it was very tiny born. They yeah. had to put a nipple shield on, then they had like a tube that they ran in through the nipple shield and they put the milk, they must attach some, I can't remember, they must attach something to it and they put the formula through and fed her through while she was on my breast sort of thing. So, she was getting mm-hmm. milk um, formula, but um, she was also stimulating for my milk to come in.
0: Yeah, yeah. What a fascinating idea. Like, um, and a way to use, you know, the resources that are available to you.
1: They, they, they were absolutely fabulous, these girls. I had the, the, the best experience um, with number yeah. one child. Yeah. They just went above and beyond, you know. The, and it was because it was over the um, it was over a quiet period, and they were on sort of um, um, what's the word? They didn't have a lot of staff. They just sort of shut down over that New Year's Eve period. So skeleton staff, I guess, what you call. Cool. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, so yeah. the buzzing of you know doctors and nurses. It was just um, you know, because there was a lot of people in over that New Year period. So mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, it was. It was wonderful.
0: We had, it was a yeah, um, wonderful experience. And so did that give you a bit extra time to stay before discharging from the hospital?
1: I think I was in for five days. I think, yeah, so it went in the Wednesday and I left the Monday, yep.
0: Yeah, and so when you left, did you choose to stay in Kingaroy for a little while? Or did you um, do the drive and move back home immediately?
1: Um, so we had some newborn photos done. It was done a couple of days after we got out. I think oh, it was lovely. around the third. Yeah, the Thursday the Friday we, we decided to start heading home.
0: Yep. Yeah. And so you got those newborn photos done in Kingaroy before you left?
1: Yes. Yep.
0: So do you having done it um, more than once, have any advice for people who need to take on that really massive substantial drive um, with a newborn?
1: Well, um, just, just don't, you know, don't rush home, don't, don't be in a hurry to leave. I, I kind of wish that we maybe hung around a little bit longer because I, I didn't have a lot of milk. I, um, she was a bit unsettled for the first couple of weeks for that fact that I didn't have a lot of milk. She lost weight and they were concerned about it. And yeah. Not having, you know, I'm 120 K's from anywhere here. There was no yeah. um, lactation consultant, you know, I couldn't have anyone come and visit me from where we, where we are. Um, so, I'd, I'd say hang around that little bit longer, make sure everything's down pat, and then, you know, make that big drive. Yeah. Like, it's where our closest neighbours probably 30Ks, like, you know, yeah. we're down in a hollow, and we have no neighbours and no one that had children close to me either. So, yeah. First time mum asked and yeah, it was a bit scary to start with, but, you
0: know, and we has- found our feet. How did that feel? I've I've heard um in an interview with someone else recently that when you live really far from anyone else, it it's your partner and you. It's like you the two of you really like team up, um stronger than you kind of ever have before. Um and you get this newborn bubble, but you do sometimes miss the parts that um, just aren't as easy to tap into like the mother's groups for example or um, like you said lactation consultant you can't get those really easy tap in kind of with a sense of immediacy to those services or groups
1: we are very lucky because we um rick's parents live with us on attica they don't live in our house we built yeah. them a house up the hill from us so we yeah. have i had to fall back on and my mum and dad came out um shortly after we got home as well um and awesome. I think they hung around for six weeks five to six weeks or something mm-hmm. so it was lovely you know their first grandchild too and they didn't they didn't want to miss out on those first couple of weeks of the
0: yeah getting to
1: know her. like 700 away and we just can't pop over every weekend to say hi yeah so it was nice having, you know both rick's Parents and my parents here for the first couple of weeks it's, yeah. it's a two and a half hour drive to charleville for any of the lactation you know nurses mm. or anything like that it's a fair drive to to get anything sorted and when I left Kingarai, she was mixed fed because I didn't have a lot of milk mm-hmm. um, and I was happy like you know whatever fed is best like you know she she needed to have milk and obviously I couldn't supply but I you know I kept trying to put her more on the boob and because I didn't have a lot of milk she just yeah she just cried at me like I remember laying on the bed and she was just screaming and screaming at me because she couldn't get anything from me and I said to her, just can you go and get me a bottle like I can't I was so tired I couldn't deal with it at all mm. and as soon as she had the bottle in the mouth because she was so hungry she was happy I'm like and I think we made it to 11 weeks mixed fed. And then I said to I can't do this anymore. I think, you know, and when we made the full switch to bottle then. And, you know, that was our decision. And it was, it, like, it was sad. I didn't want to give up breastfeeding. And, but at the same time, she, was, she wasn't getting enough to sustain her. So we had yeah. to just make the decision. I had Rick's complete support, which I needed from the beginning that, you know, this is, this is the way. And, and him having, you know, her on a bottle, he could take her for feeds. He could get up in the middle of the night and feed her. Like, you know, he, he's a very um, hands-on father. He just does so much with the girls.
0: Uh, Having a supportive partner is so important. Like particularly when you're isolated from others, Um, like, how as well accessible was paediatric care like after you were discharged did I I, (laughs) might sound really naive asking but did you ever get anything like a maternal child health care nurse come to your home or was everything stuff that you had to travel for?
1: We had to travel we had to travel to Orbithella so I think every two weeks there was a um, child health nurse that went to and still does go to Orbithella so yeah, um, I think we in um, maybe when she was two weeks old. Then again at four weeks, and that's when that started problem started rising. Like she wasn't gaining enough weight, enough weight. And I remember we had to we weighed her at the doctor's surgery, and she kept losing weight. So they said send us over to the hospital to weigh on their scales to make sure the scales yeah. were right. Um, that's when all this, you know, all the trouble sort of started. That she wasn't getting enough.
0: And was um, there anyone available over the phone for you? Like if you wanted some extra, I guess, time to talk to someone because only having someone appear every two weeks, that sounds a bit difficult as well if you're in a state that is quite stressful.
1: Um, I don't remember making any phone calls. Um, probably uh, we went to Charleville a few times with... Erica, and and the feeding issues Mm -hmm. um, down there. But, yeah, I sort of just lived in my own little bubble.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, you had that really supportive partner. And I think a lot of people would get you on that, that, like, you, when you're living really quite far from places and a bit isolated, you end up in that bubble. And it's a beautiful bubble in so many ways, a bubble of trust and love and support and you're this a team for one another
1: yeah uh, it was um and yeah i think it's very important to have that to have your husband you know there for the first couple of weeks possible obviously after you yeah. very lucky that you know he could go go to work and do a bit for a couple of hours and then come back and check on me and i had my parents here and you know and, and gay was always down, you know, making a cup of tea or a coffee or Mm. you know someone's folding my wash or hanging my washing out or holding the baby burping the baby so I could have a shower like yeah it was we we did make a point of getting outside every day I didn't want to be cooped up because I mean I've lived here for over 14 years and I'm not a very big indoor person I like to be out paddock and Um, it was really hard to step away from, you know, I couldn't go mustering and I couldn't go in the yards and um, do any of that stuff that I just love doing. But finally, now I can get back into it. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, So for yourself, was there any ongoing care for you? Like did anyone check in with you after you'd given birth um, like was there any postpartum care other than that I guess that your beautiful family was offering with their present
1: no I didn't I, I mean we went back to King Roy at six weeks for her six-week checkup. Um,
0: yeah
1: it was okay I don't remember I mean I thought I did think maybe I had because I was crying a lot you know your, your postnatal depression but it was never really diagnosed or anything like that I think just I was so isolated and I felt like I was alone, but I wasn't alone trying to deal with all these feeding issues. And I probably should have really, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know, well, I don't know, go somewhere and get it sorted. But I've just, you know, you just sort of think you could try and you could do it yourself. We're invincible. We're, yeah. we're mothers. We can. Um, I totally get you. But I'm, and at I- the end of the day, At the end of the day, I didn't have the milk for her. And I, I knew it in my gut that I didn't have the milk, but you just kept pushing on. And I probably should have, um, I didn't know much about um, what's the, the breast pumping and all that either. Like it yeah. wasn't, I'm probably into second pregnancy where, you know, they say, you've got to do it to build up your supply. You've got to do it, you know, a lot. And I probably didn't do it enough you know, first time mum, you don't really, you're just finding your way. You're just trying to get through that fog to get to the other side of a baby sleeping in during the yeah. night. And
0: yeah. That is a really like vivid and good image of it. Like trying to get through the fog. I, I feel that.
1: <laughs> oh, there was, it was very foggy for those first six weeks. And I didn't know like, you know, new mum, I wasn't ever told how to dress them. Like I was, told, you know, the room's got to be nice and cool so they can sleep. You don't want to overheat babies, blah, blah, blah. They can't regulate their body temperature. Blah, blah. Mm. So she was sitting in just um, like a little onesie with no arms, no long sleeve arms or legs. And she was crying all night. Like, I'm like, what's going on with this child? Like, it's beautiful in here. Like, because it was a summer baby. Yeah. But she was cold. I'm get out. And then I got <laughs> onto the Save House book about, you know, how to dress babies i'm like oh rick i'm underdressing this poor child she's screaming during the night because she was so cold once we corrected that we slept through from six weeks
0: yeah i remember downloading an app i live in braidwood so it actually gets very cold here um but yeah i i downloaded an app just to try and have a look at how much they should be wearing and um it it really helped it did um but then there was kind of that formula in the end that I think it was our maternal child health care nurse told me just one more piece of clothing than you're wearing because I had overdressed Shanley taken him into the shops and I remember he just chucked and I was like eventually I realized that he was um just so overdressed I had him in like a woolen onesie and a little woolen vest and i i think I had a beanie on him as well and it, we were inside it was heated <laughs> yeah i got it wrong uh, <laughs> that... uh,
1: well yeah well i had it completely wrong too because i was completely underdressing my child going like well, i remember when we were trying to come home and i had been up with her for hours and she was only dressed in a very minimal clothing as well up for hours with her and i woke rick up going can't get this child to sleep let's pack up and go home so we we got ready we put her in like a long sleeve onesie she went straight to sleep what (laughs) what's going on but it didn't click like I you know first time mum so you know like that saved our sleep yeah saved my life
0: did you find ways to connect with other um parents
1: yes so I think I started going to um Playgroup in town when I think Eric, I might have been about six months old. We started going into town every fortnight. We would do okay. the trip into town,
0: which again you said was 120 k's, yeah.
1: Yes, yep. So an hour and a half in, then yep. we do a few jobs, bit of get the mail, pick up anything Rick needed, and then yep, hour and a half drive home.
0: I suppose that just speaks to as well, like how important connection is, like, and when you can go and if it's the right group too because sometimes I know that people don't have good experiences at those groups but it can just help you feel seen and heard and give you a space where somebody's gonna understand.
1: They were like they're, they're a wonderful group of mums that um, that did run the playgroup and still do um, new mums coming through now because we're all stepping away from it with our kids yeah. in school. Um, so we, you know, there's a new group of mums have taken on the role to keep it going. But, you know, all the girls that, um, that went to play group, I knew really well. Like, because we're such mm. a small community, like you know just about everyone and everyone that went, you knew sort of thing. And we have rafts days, so that's when the um, um, they call themselves rafts. I can't remember the breakdown, but they're like, um, they come and did. Um, playing sessions they bring all their toys and they sing and they do activities with the kids and they paint and um, they used to come I think once a term they used to come up from so and that was wonderful Um, yeah that you know have tea and coffee we bring something for morning tea and yeah it was sit down and chat for hours it was wonderful to catch up with people because we you know when I lived here before I moved to town for schooling with the kids now Um, it would be weeks before I saw anyone unless I went to someone's house or there was a function on or any excuse to socialise, we jumped at it because it is fairly isolated.
0: Mm. So how did you make the decision um, to have your second child?
1: So because it took us so long to conceive Erica, we thought when Erica was eight months old, we'll start trying now. Like it could take us, you know, six to 12 months, start mm-hmm. trying now. Um, first try, bang, we were pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we didn't really have to do much trying. Um, and oh, it was funny. I, I didn't really find out till I was six weeks along that, I was pregnant. Like I didn't really feel any different. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I must have had a period back, but, you know, it come and went sort of thing. So it wasn't yeah. really, I just started feeling a little bit off and tired and my breast was a little bit sore. And I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to get a test. Yeah. And we're at my parents' place and I took this test. My mum was suspicious going, what's in the round bag, Larissa? Nothing, mum, nothing. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> my husband was up with, um, with my dad looking at the van or fixing the van and I've done this test and sure enough, it was positive. I walked straight up and I'm waving in his face and said, well, you wanted another baby? Here it is. And he just <laughs> looked at me. Yep. It's happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so after that, it was just like a reactivation. Like you just kind of went, yep, we liked these choices last time. Let's go.
1: Yeah. And cause um, I, I, when I had done um, all this trouble with Erica, um, they found out that I had a low, I was on a borderline low egg supply, so we couldn't muck around with having kids. Like yeah. um, if I wasn't with Erica and I had to have fertility drugs and if I wasn't pregnant in six months, it was IVF because I didn't have time. I didn't have time. Time was against us with having kids. So hence why we started trying a little bit earlier than probably what the mm-hmm. average person would start trying. <laughs> Um, because we we didn't know if we could go again, like, but obviously became fairly fertile.
0: (laughs) And so being um, isolated, like rural, um, and getting some assistance with fertility, where were you going before Erica was born for that? Was that your Toowoomba appointments or was that something that you were able to get some assistance and advice with locally?
1: Yeah, no,
0: we went went through a um, fertility specialist in Toowoomba. Yeah, yeah, and um, how far's Toowoomba from you guys? Oh,
1: maybe eight or nine hours.
0: Okay, so that yeah is a big trip because you said you went there for a couple of early scans as well with Erica's pregnancy, and to have been going before that as well. I guess there's just this. Uh, during pregnancy and also preconception rural women are yeah. kind of no strangers to travel
1: no um, and you know if you live out here you've got to be prepared to travel and you know um, with anything yeah I think everyone who lives in a rural area you know you that's just what you do you're just going to drive
0: yeah and um how did you get in contact as well with the people in Toowoomba? Was that just through GP referral or did somebody else recommend them or was it your personal research?
1: Um, I think it might have been through my GP,
0: yeah. Um,
1: I remember it was, um, we had to go down for a funeral and I managed to get an appointment Um, and so yeah, because of where we live, they sort of squeezed us in, going, well, we've got one here free. Can you come? Like, yeah, we'll be there. Like, yeah. this is when we'll be there.
0: Can you do it? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, fit yeah. into the littlest gap that you can when you can.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I remember we had to leave the wake early because we had to go this appointment. Yeah. But that's
0: okay. Yeah. So, back then to your second pregnancy, um, Erica was eight months old. And um so how was your kind of pregnancy and prenatal care a bit different now having already having one kid?
1: Well we we still decided to go with our GP in King Roy. like his his care, his professionalism was just outstanding. He was um he was just so good to deal with, nothing was a problem, very welcoming. So we decided still, we'll go that way. We'll do alternate care with him as well as the GP out here. Um, and I talked to him. I really wanted to try a natural birth after an emergency seizure. Yeah. Um, and he was all for it and said, yep, we'll give it a go. So that's what we did. Um, I started having really bad pra- Braxton hicks quite early. And the doctor out here goes, look, I'm not comfortable with you being here. Yeah. So I think 35 weeks, he said, look, you've got to go. You need to go to Kinga because he said, I'm, yeah. I don't want you to give birth on the side of the Mount Tabor Road. Right? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. So I had to move a week earlier. And, you mm-hmm. know, Erica was only um, 17 months old too when we left. Yeah. Um, 17 months between the two girls. Um, so, you know, I had to look after her as well as heavily pregnant and so over it over by that stage. Um, And and your husband
0: wouldn't have come straight away like when you were 36 weeks uh, he would start to work a bit.
1: Yeah so um, my dad was out here doing some renovations to the house so we could move Erica out of the nursery into her room. Anyway Mm -hmm. so when they said look gotta go so um, my dad and Rick took me to Kingarotu mum because she was still working she couldn't get any time off work took her, took us to Kingaroy. Anyway, they come back and did another couple of weeks work. So I, I was down there with mum by myself for a couple of weeks with Erica. Yeah.
0: And how did you spend those weeks um, before uh, your birth? So you're down at 35 weeks um, and yeah, you had so Erica, you had your mum as well. Were you able to do anything for you?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I've got really good friends down there um, that had kids as well. So, and we, there was a, um, it was mainly music. I think it was where they, it was at a church and they, every Wednesday we all got together and um, kids had a big dance and play. And then we'd go somewhere for lunch. So I looked forward to that Wednesday every week.
0: Yeah. Lovely.
1: So, yeah, no, I had, I had, I've had got quite a few of my friends still in around Kingaroy, so I just caught up with them and just kept myself busy. Went for lots of walks because I was trying to bring labour on, but mm-hmm. that didn't happen.
0: So um, did you go into natural labour or um, did you need to be induced?
1: I was induced. My blood pressure was going up. Yeah. Um, I was over 40 weeks and I was over it. Um, mm-hmm. So we decided to be induced. Um, and how did the they do first. that?
0: Gel? Cool.
1: Yeah, with the gel first, yeah.
0: And how did your body yeah, respond so, to the induction?
1: Yeah, not good. Um, I had a reaction to it. Okay. Um, it is quite uh, a bit on, not not as common as what they, they think it is, um, but... Um, there was, yeah, wasn't nice, wasn't very pleasant feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, and my body wasn't doing what it should be like. I was laboring all through the night was constant and my cervix hadn't changed. My body just wasn't progressing.
0: Okay. So, um, what happened next for you?
1: So the doctor come in, um, so I went in like nine o'clock that night before on the Tuesday night, had the gel, didn't sort of go to plan. He came back in about six o'clock. He said, look, we can either try it again or, you know, have a Caesar. Like, you know, we knew we, knew, we what we went through. We knew what we went through with Erica. We knew, the, I knew the pain. Um, like it's not a walk in the park by any means. None mm-hmm. of it is giving birth naturally or Caesar. But I knew the pain. Um, we were in a better headspace too, because, you know, we tried to have a natural, whereas with Erica, it was emergency Caesar and, you know, it was very confronting and very emotional straight up where, you know, we could, they gave me um, a painkiller. I'm pretty sure it was pethidine to, you know, so I could sleep because I had been laboring all night with no progress. I wasn't, and I was so exhausted. And we just, I sort of like, We knew what we got into. We knew what we did the first time. We knew the pain. I said, look, let's just have a Caesar." In a way, I probably should have tried the gel again. Um, But, I mean, you say that now. You said you were exhausted as well. And I'd laboured all night, like, and had not progressed at all. The baby wasn't ready. My cervix wasn't doing anything because they couldn't break my waters at all because there was, the cervix wasn't ready. They couldn't do all anything like that until yeah so we just said that right let's have a Caesar we know what we're going to do we know we know all the pain we know and it was so calm it was you know like because I wasn't in labor when I went up there like you know I walked to the next bed and you know knew everyone from the time before 17 months before Um, yeah it was a much better atmosphere go into and a much nicer birthing experience I guess. Yeah, definitely yeah, easier was, to stay still
0: for that um spinal as well.
1: Yeah, and yeah. We just we were ready to meet our baby and, and, and so there, did she, she come, come. Girl, we thought it was a boy. Bl-
0: yeah. <laughs> did um she come straight to your chest as well and go to recovery with you?
1: Yes. Yep, she did all that, yeah
0: yeah and so and straight on the bird too oh wow yeah
1: so that was that was good still i still needed a nipple shield but yeah she had figured it out a bit easier than erica
0: yeah yeah every baby's different as well like and both of your birth stories as well they they are quite different yeah. birds you know um erica was coming early and she was um Breach and posterior, and then this birth, you've um, said that you were going over term. And yeah, it's every baby's different, <laughs> they're coming at different times, they greet the world in different ways. Yeah,
1: yep. yep. and it was like, I mean, not that it was a bad experience with Erica, but it was just so rushed and so emotional. Where with Claire, like it was so calm, and you know, we. We walked into the room all all calm and smiling. Mm. Where Erica, it was just, it was rushed and it was, yeah. You know, we had to make a move on her because she was breached and, yeah, so.
0: Yeah. Mm. So, how was recovery different? Um, So, like, was it a bit harder now having a toddler and a newborn on your body?
1: yeah so i remember um so it must have been the thursday Mum and come and spent all day with me i had terrible labor pains like the afterbirth pains you know the after not like yep. after birth pains yeah it was, it was it was out of this world it was it was intense and um The nurses would only give me Panadol. They wouldn't give me anything stronger than a Panadol. And like I said, kept saying to them, look, I can't, I need something stronger than Panadol. It's not written up your chart. We can't give you anything. They wouldn't go and call the doctors, uh, my doctor, my GP, to get anything stronger. Anyway, at about 7 o'clock that night, I I couldn't hold Claire. I'd give her a feed and I'd have to give back to mum. But in between the afterbirth pains and, you know, C-section, I didn't want to hold her. I was I was a mess, and I messaged my doctor about seven o'clock, going, "Look, I can't do this anymore. They're only giving me Panadol. Um, Can you give me anything stronger?" Anyway, he come up, and he um, the nurse he did give the nurses a bit of a, a bit of a, a speaking to because they should have rung him and said, "Look, she's asking for more," and they didn't. Yeah. Um, but once I got on on you know as on endone, because you have, you know, second major surgery. Um, mm. Panadol doesn't cut, doesn't, doesn't hurt, doesn't work at all. Um, but once I got an endone and then I was much happier, much better, I could move around a bit more. Then I could interact with Claire. Like, but with that Thursday, I didn't want to have anything to do with her. I was in so much pain. But that, yeah. once we got over that, you know, we she was feeding a lot better than what Erica um, I actually fed her through to six months um she was a trooper we did do mm. she had one bottle at night and that was always the last feed before bed just because with Erica you know at dinner and her bedtime and bath time that one bottle that we could just give Claire while I dealt with Erica or you know yeah but yeah completely different experience I I mean I wasn't I uh dairy cow by any means, but I had enough milk for
0: her. Yeah. And so postpartum, once you're home, being a mum of two, how did um, stuff go? Were you able to reactivate like going to the play group out of town or did that take a bit of a while to get back through?
1: Um, no, I think we sort of went once I could drive again. I think we went, yeah, there wasn't... Um, big social butterfly. I don't like staying home and uh, I like getting out and about. So once I could drive, I I went, took the two kids and I went.
0: Yeah. And so between um, Claire's birth and the birth of your third daughter, um, there's a bit more time that passed between those guys. Um, But for your third pregnancy, your prenatal care journey was quite different, requiring you to take um, a bit of a different path, and make different choices. When you discovered that she had heart defects, how many weeks yeah. were you into your third pregnancy when you found out that?
1: Uh, I'm going to try not to cry because it's still quite emotional and raw. Um, so Absolutely. I was 20 weeks. We just spent three. We were and so two weeks holiday at the um, sunny coast, and I was having my scan in Kingaroy on the way home, that was a Friday that the scan was and we were gonna go home the Saturday. Um, It was, we had the two other girls with us. So, and they were just being a handful. So Rick said, I'll take it out while you finished up. Anyway, the sonographer kept going back to the baby's heart and like went and looked at something else and back to the baby's heart. And I just said to her, and I was in there for so long, like well and truly over an hour. And I just said to her, is something wrong? She said, yes. So we can't get your baby's heart rate above 67. And I knew straight away, well, that's not good. Like an average is 140 beats, roughly, like between, you know, 130,
0: 140 beats, yeah.
1: roughly, minute you know, for a baby. And she said, I can't get it above 67. I'm like, whoa. She said, I think you've got to go for a tertiary scan in Brisbane. So it was Friday afternoon, like it was half past four, um, she got yeah. my GP straight away and he said, Yeah, we'll organise it first thing Monday morning. So we had to sit over the whole weekend knowing that our baby had something wrong with its heart. Like it yeah. we Yeah, it it was um it was pretty tough. So anyway, we got through the weekend, we went and saw some friends anyway. He managed to get us in Wesley Hospital a yep. doctor down there so went and did that um and so when he scanned he said look i think it's hypoplastic i heart um we're going to push and get you into the um maternal fetal unit out of the mother mothers straight away to get it because we want to go home like we have been home for two and a half weeks yeah um, so we were keen we just wanted to go so they did take some fluid from, um, you know, your, your fluid around your baby and tested that because they said just well, any genetic conditions. Um, if the baby had DeGeorge syndrome, they generally don't like to intervene. Um, it's, yeah, their life expectancy, I guess, isn't um, great if it's that. Yeah. But it just flawed us. The Friday, we, we come down to see, um, the, um, the specialist that cardiology clinic at Mater Mothers, at the maternal fetal, mm-hmm. diagnosed with yeah, hypoplastic right heart. She had a very large ASD. She had pulmonary stenosis. Um, what else did she have? Irregular heartbeat, which would need a pacemaker at birth. Like the list just grew and we, I'm just bawling my eyes. Like, yeah, you know, they sit in their room and they see all what she's got. And then in the, in the same breath, he said, look, um, you can terminate. We can't do it here. We're a Catholic hospital, but we can organise somewhere for you to have the termination. And I, I just sort of lost it. I said, I've got to go. I've got to get out of here. I can't I can't deal with it. I can't think. I can't. Yeah. It's don't, just not a city one. We went downstairs, had a coffee, still crying. I'm still bawling my eyes out going i don't i don't know what to do i don't i don't know my future of my baby um anyway we're driving home and i remember saying to rick i said um, i'm gonna try not to cry um that this is so we found out it was a girl at on the wednesday and I said this is her journey um she has got to want to fight and if she can no longer fight we'll let her go and we had to be on that same page we couldn't we couldn't, you know, one couldn't say let's support and the other one say, no, let's keep, we have to be on the same page moving forward from that day. Yeah. Uh, and we just had the best possible chance of, um, of having <laughs> a normal life. And we did. We, you know, we, yeah, we decided to keep going with the pregnancy.
0: <sighs> that would have been an epic drive home and it's great that you two were on the same page and that you two were able to hold your own strength and move through all those uh, really difficult appointments and through that really confronting knowledge and here you have this lovely little four-year-old girl. <laughs> yeah, she's, um, she's a miracle. It, it could
1: have gone Either way with her, we could have lost her at birth. We could, you know, she had heart surgery going on, she should be five in March. So going on three years in December, she had heart, open heart surgery, so. Wow.
0: Yeah. And that's a big it's, deal it's as well, being about 900 kilometers from Brisbane um, to go have major surgery um, as sad. a toddler.
1: Three days before Christmas, so four days before Christmas.
0: That would have been a big year. It was a very big year, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you were about 20 weeks pregnant and you were living, as I said, about 900 kilometres away from Brisbane, which um, your hospital was there, now going to be martyr mother, Mothers. Um did you need to duck back and forth intermittently um, or did you need to relocate earlier than you had before um, in order to have um, additional appointments now?
1: Um, so I think our, so it was 20 weeks when we had our last scan. They wanted to see us at 28 weeks. I think yep. we flew down. We did a lot of flying. Um, yeah. It was such... It was quicker because we had the other two girls. So it was quicker just to fly down from Charleville, which is a wonderful surface to have to be able to fly back to Brizzy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah, 28-week scan down there. Then we had another gross scan in Roma at 32 weeks and I had to be relocated at 36 weeks. I relocated.
0: Mm -hmm. So... A lot of back and forth, but relocation itself was kind of at that normal relocation time. Um, Did you need to um, stay longer after birth as well? And were they able to help accommodate you in something like Ronald McDonald House? So
1: they owned a little... Think it's a really old, rundown motel, sort of behind Marda Mothers. There, Um, you've got the Marda Mothers, then um, the private hospital over the road, and the Children's Hospital, like the the private um, Marda up top, sort of thing. So Marder was right there, all around Lady Um, Salento. So yeah, they had they booked me a room straight from twenty weeks. They booked me a room. It was one. It was one room with a little kitchen it, um, and a tiny bathroom. And that's where I stayed for, I think it was around four to five weeks.
0: Okay. Um, and that includes just a, a period of time before you gave birth as well?
1: Yeah. I was, I was there a, um, a week and a half before, around a week and a half before Annie was born. Yeah.
0: Yeah um and so they booked your cesarean in for some time during your 37th week of pregnancy
1: well they were trying to get me to 38 um yeah trying to get because she she kept so annie's got a chromosome deletion and Mm -hmm. part of that deletion um, there's a low birth weight and so every scan i had i had a growth scan and she yeah she was so she was only 2.1 born she was very, very tiny. Um, yeah. We were trying to get her a bit bigger in case she needed surgery straight after. That, you know, that was all up in the air whether she would need to have surgery um, to help with the blood flow in her heart. Um, so, but I, I was, I went in at, it was on a Monday. I was, I think I was 30. She was, was she was born. Oh, she might've been, she was thirty seven. 37.3. So I went at, at 37 weeks for a scan and I, they were saying, look, you're running out of, you know, your fluid around the baby's really quite low. We need to book you in this mm-hmm. Wednesday. And Rick had just left three days before <laughs> to take our girls home. They come down for the week before we had a week. We went and did SeaWorld and we went down to South Bank. And, yeah. cause I thought I'll be there. Like, I thought I wouldn't give birth to at least, 38, 39 weeks that were trying to get me further along so she had a better chance. Um, but there was four of us in this tiny little room and it just wasn't working with the girls. So Rick left earlier and he left like three days before. I get to appointment on Monday and said, you're giving birth on the Wednesday. So, and he was in Mitchell picking up cattle lick for our cows, I rung him yeah. and said, look, you got down. So he, yeah, he hiked out of Mitchell brought the lick home and jumped in the vehicle and come down. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: um, who had your other two daughters?
1: So my mum moved out um, and she was helping look after them with Gabe.
0: Yeah. And David was here as well. Yeah. Wonderful support team to have. So um, when she was born, um, did you get to have some time with her like moments of skin to skin in recovery or did they need to transfer her straight to NICU <laughs> for observation?
1: Uh, so she was, she was born, um, they wrapped her up, brought her over to me for a, a quick, you know, smooth photo and then she had to go into the other room to be assessed.
0: Yeah. And, um, after that did she get to come back to you for a while or was she in nursery and you were in a different room for your um hospital stay
1: so she went straight up to i never um i never saw i, think I saw her briefly as she went out the door and she went straight up to be put on monitors and stuff because of her heart defects um yeah she, yeah, we. I never saw her again that day because. Oh, well, I did. Sorry, they did wheel me as I was coming out. You know, had stitched me up and whatever. Um, they did put me in through, wheeled me through, to her in the um in the P Q. I had to stay in the bed, obviously. Um, I just held her hand and that was it. Then I didn't see her till the following day, and that was that was probably one of the hardest things too. I couldn't see her. I couldn't pick her up. I couldn't cuddle yeah. her like she. Sending Rick down to Nikki. Nikki was on the fourth floor, and we were on the eighth and ninth floor. And I said, "Sending him down, go and see our baby, go and spend some time with her." I'm fine. I think every three hours, I had to, um, I had to get on the breast pump to help bring milk in to get milk for her as well. So um, it was hard. That first day was really hard.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine um, how that would have felt. Um, So how did she go as well after that initial day? And when did you guys get to come back together as a family?
1: Um, So she was doing well. So when throughout pregnancy, so by by 28 weeks, her regular heartbeat had corrected itself. (laughs) Um, Her So hypoplastic right heart is when the right ventricle, isn't developed as well as the left, which is why it's called right. There's also hypoplastic left part, which is your left ventricles underdeveloped. Um, Right's the better one to have, so to speak, like um, your right basically pumps blood to your lungs, whereas your left pumps blood around your body. So, you know, they, hers had started it was still beating. It was still small in the ventricle size, but it was still beating. Usually they, they call them half-heart babies. So basically half the heart does the work of the whole heart. And yep. in her case, and it's very rare that it happens, that hers was still beating. It was still smaller, but it was still beating. Um, she had a large ASD, which was fine. It wasn't affecting her. So basically when she was born, it was just a wait and see how how her heart would beat when she could breathe on her own. Do you know what I mean? Like, because obviously they don't breathe mm-hmm. when they're inside. But as soon as she had to take her first breath, um, yeah, it was basically just wait and see. But um, so she, she was only 2.1 born. So she was really small and she tired very easily. Like uh, we went up. As soon as I got out of bed the next day, we were straight down. We tried to breastfeed her. She wasn't interested. She tied really easily because um, I was so engorged too. Like, you know, she was the smallest, small baby, big boobs. She just couldn't handle it. Tried shield. Um, We had lactations consultants come and see us um, all the time and help us. And I cannot speak highly enough of mother mothers. They they were incredible. They're, the whole services that they you know, all the doctors, all the nurses, midwives. yeah, we felt completely safe and, you know, we felt like we were in the right place to help our little girl.
0: Mm. And for yourself as well, like, that's quite an intense experience. How did you um, kind of take some time for self-care or what did you do to kind of hold yourself through um, both prenatal and postpartum?
1: I'd have to say my husband held me together. Um, He he spent a couple of weeks with me um, down in Brisbane. Um, You know, we had to go to the hospital every three hours and and feed Annie. Um, I had to pump in between that to get more milk for her. Like, I wasn't the best dairy cow either, so I couldn't. I, you know, I was barely pumping a hundred mils, um, which was fine. You know, but at least she was getting something. Yeah. But yeah, he would have to. Do that. He he held everything together when, um, like he, I always, you know, we talked so much about um of, about how Annie was doing, and you know, we were always trying to be there when the doctors and come around to see her because obviously, you know, we um we wanted to know everything there was to know about any in her situation um and I, I yeah i basically i just lent on rick um and i think you know even the nurses, they were fantastic always there to talk to when you had any queries or any issues or anything like that like because they had i think there was only like like one nurse for two babies sort of thing
0: Yeah. And what has it been like continuing on the path of this kind of additional care journey as she's needed to see other doctors throughout kind of her infancy and toddlerhood? Um, how, how have you moved through that?
1: Um, it's been challenging. She's, um, she has quite a few issues. Um, She's got global development delay, which stems from her chromosome. So basically her chromosome is what caused her heart defects. Um, so she's just missing a little part of, um, of a chromosome, 8p23, um, she's got a deletion and then she's got a duplication as well. Um, so we always knew she'd need help. Um, it's a very rare... Um, condition to have, syndrome to have. Um, Not a lot of kids out there. I think I've only ever found one. I haven't found any in Australia, but i found one in the States with it. Um, Basically, so she, yeah, global development. So, you know, she she didn't walk till she was after two, just after her heart surgery, so she decided to walk. So she's between six and 12 months behind in development. we see speeches. We see OTs, physio. Um, she's in Kindy at the local school, which she absolutely loves. Yep. Um, and then we're, trying to, we're trying to get extra funding for her for her schooling years um, to support her through her schooling years. But it, I mean, she surprises. She's she is a very clever little thing. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a very cheeky little monkey. Um, <laughs> but you know. We love her
0: dearly and she's, we'd be lost without her. Yeah. And so for other people who might be listening, who may also discover that their baby has an issue in utero, what advice do you have for them kind of through their pregnancy, postpartum and then into mothering their growing child for um, how they can best move through and navigate that? as a rural person.
1: I guess, you know, just don't give up, ask lots of questions, seek further help. If you're not happy with someone saying something the first time, go and ask, get a second opinion. I mean, we, we were lucky. I, we didn't like the first doctor that we had who diagnosed um, any at the MARTA when we went for the initial MARTA um, maternity unit. Yeah. Um, scan his enough, was less desirable than i would i'd hope but um we were allocated a a wonderful cardiologist who we just love seeing every time we go down there he's so very welcoming um if we don't understand something he explains it to us in a way that we understand it just i uh, yeah i guess you know don't give up kids are so resilient like she's and she's proven that she's she's a fighter like she's come through where it could have went the other way and we could have lost her yeah Um, yeah, yeah you know like like I've got so many heart kids um friends on Facebook you know there's a heart kid group and then there's people who I've met who have heart kids and you know they are I'm always talking to them and you know they're always so supportive Whenever we go down for a scan or something, um, you know, they always, you know, thinking of you. Like, but even when, when I was diagnosed, and you know, and, and I, I put it on Facebook that our baby had a heart problem, the amount of people who prayed for us and mm-hmm. sent wishes and you know, thinking of us was so overwhelming that so many people cared. Yeah, um, and I know some people hide away from. Social media, but I just found it—it it, it was an outlet for me. Like I know I, I could talk to Rick about it, but it was—it was an outlet for me to, you know, to, you know, I knew people cared, but you know, when you see it written down, you know, you you do find who really like. We had mates who, who you know, they um, they lived over the back from us a oh, little way way. and you know, they just said, look, if we need a hand with mustering whenever you know just call us just we'll be there you know you don't don't give us any notice we'll be there like people like that and you know another fella he was our neighbor and he said look and he owned a plane and he said if, if i need if you need to fly out he said call me i'll come and get you and take you to brisbane like in his oh, plane okay. and what you know just people really just um i don't know supported us you know they everywhere we went we were they you know They always said, we're thinking of you. And if you need anything, call us. Like if it's something little, look after kids. Like the support has been amazing.
0: Yeah. So one of the best things you did was keep that kind of open dialogue. And um, people, I guess, can't support you if they don't know. And you opened a door and so many people have come through it to go, we're here for you if you need us.
1: Yeah, and you know, and I wasn't after sympathy. I wasn't after any of that. I just wanted people to know where, you know, like Mm. because I've been fairly open about my pregnancies, and you know, when we felt pregnant with Annie, you know, we did a photo shoot and announced it that way. You know, three white chairs and then a third chair. So (laughs) you know, open about you know all my pregnancy journeys. Um, but you know, CHD or congenital heart defects, like it's. It's very important. Like it's, you got to raise awareness. It's it, yeah. It can hurt so many babies. You know, eight babies are born every day with it, and four lives are lost a week. Like, like so. You know, yeah. you get in a group of eight women. You have those women that are going to have a heart defect. You know, it's it's the biggest killer for our for our kids. It just needs to be out there. Yeah. And I never I, heard. I, we never heard about CHD before we had any. Did not know anything existed.
0: Mm. You know. So, and thank you so much for speaking so openly about it. I understand that it's hard to talk about, but I think that um, just by you sharing it publicly, you're putting it out there for other people to understand better and. To know that it does exist, like you just said, Um, it happens to a lot of people and it's really important that it's known.
1: I've changed a lot of, like a lot of my friends who have had babies after me had made sure that their baby's heart was okay when they had their 20 week scan. And they, and they thanked me for me, thanked me for the knowledge that, you know, I share about it, that, they were aware, you know, and they made sure, can you please just make sure their baby's heart's fine? Like, because a lot of it is, can be missed during, you know,
0: during pregnancy, um, but, yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your stories. Um, they, yeah, every birth is different and... <laughs> Definitely. All your birth stories hold a lot of valuable knowledge for rural women who, uh, you know, the basic things like looking at access limitation, looking at relocation, facing travel and long distance care, and then the limited kind of prenatal and postpartum support or care. But there's also with Annie's birth, you've got this big um, story about how you navigated um, additional care as a rural woman as well and I think that that's actually really beneficial to not only rural women but any woman who's having a baby to hear about how you can move through some of the most difficult times and um, as again that powerful family unit between you and your partner you come out more powerhouse out the other side.
1: He's amazing. I'm very lucky to have found my husband. Um, He keeps us all grounded and holds my family together when we're feeling a little bit under the pressure. But no, yeah, he's he's a wonderful man, and I'm very very lucky to have him.
0: And I'm sure he's very lucky to have you too. I think that you sound like you're an absolutely powerhouse unit together.
1: We do. We go places.
0: rissa for sharing so openly about her three birth journeys that brought her three daughters into this world if you would like to share your rural birth story please get in touch on instagram at rural underscore births or via email rural_births at gmail.com and again thank you for listening